Welcome to our Voices of Africa podcast, brought to you by Africa Practice, a strategic advisory firm supplying insights and advocacy solutions to corporations, investors, governments, and foundations in Africa. In a world with complex and interdependent challenges, we take the guesswork out of business engagement. We enable our clients to see more clearly in order to drive sustainable and equitable development. Hello and welcome to this edition of Voices of Africa. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Ken Munyi. Ken is the Managing Director of ECHO in Kenya. ECHO provides ICT solutions to a growing portfolio of clients, not just in Kenya, but across eight countries where they have established operations on the continent and through strategic partnerships in another 44 countries on the continent. They are providing connectivity solutions to clients throughout Africa and providing capacity specifically through both the West and East Africa coast cable systems that circle Africa. Ken, you are an accomplished corporate leader and have led businesses in both Kenya and Tanzania. I think I'm right in saying you started your career with the Fellowship of Christians as an accountant before moving to Africa Online where you joined as an assistant accountant. Yeah, that's true. For those of you who don't recall, or maybe too young to know, Africa Online was at the time the largest internet service provider on the continent, founded and led by another Kenyan, Aisi Makatiani. You then moved back to Tanzania with Africa Online as the finance manager, and then you assumed the general manager role in Tanzania before moving back to Kenya to oversee the merger of Africa Online with Asset Communications and launching a brand that more of our audience may be familiar with, Iway Africa, from around 2010 onwards. You're a man who enjoys reading, listening to music, and I'm told, and for your sins, you're a Manchester United fan as well, I'm told. So, Ken, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Marcus. Ken, I thought we'd kick off by just learning a little bit more about yourself, where you grew up, what you studied, what motivated your career choices, and, and why you now find yourself echo in Kenya. So can I invite you to introduce yourself? Thank you, Marcus, and thank you for having me this morning. So good morning to our listeners. I grew up in Kenya, the eastern side of this country, small town called Embu by the around about the Mount Kenya region. So that's why I spent my early childhood and you know early schooling. Then came to Nairobi to undertake my secondary education where I did that at a school right close to the city center called Nairobi School, formerly known as the Prince of Wales. It's one of the old schools. It's been here for perhaps many, many years and finished Nairobi School where I did my secondary school education uh, examination and then proceeded to Swarthmore College where I undertook my accountancy learning. Uh, before joining the University of Nairobi, where I did my um, economics and sociology studies. Around about my early schooling, I have done further reading thereafter. I I did go to Strathmore back a little later, and where I did my certified information systems auditing certification, and there's been further reading down the road. I think learning should be a lifelong journey. My career choices, uh, Marcus, is that earlier on I was heavily influenced by one of my older siblings who was an accountant. 
I think that's how I initially lost my way and, and became a bean counter. And so I think just like in life, you tend to, uh, you know, look at life through the exposure that you have. And um, my elder brother uh, was an accountant. Um, my dad had, um, you know, been a magistrate, but, but that didn't appeal to me. Um, although there was a lot of influence earlier on to actually pursue a career within the legal space. But then I ended up doing accounting. Um, that's the studies I did at Strathmore. And that's the job I started off with. And then as it were, one thing leads to another. I think it is my leadership perhaps that caused me to move or grow beyond the accountants and finance into the overall leadership of the organization while I was in Tanzania. So, yes, so earlier on, yeah, influence and thereafter perhaps more of leadership influence, yeah, which I, I kind of regard as one of my natural abilities. Ken, if I may, what, what encouraged you to join Africa Online? My assumption is that not many people were choosing to pursue careers working for internet service providers when you were entering the job market? Yeah, that, that's true, Marcus. Actually, when I joined Africa Online, at that point, I had an option to either join Africa Online, which was the an ISP then, or get into the banking sector. In fact, the truth is that I <laughs> that I was a banker for a day. But, uh, <laughs> but what was interesting is that I had worked with a bank during one of my holiday vacations, and I kind of didn't like it. I found it very boring, very straight jacket, you know, kind of almost you know, sat on a desk and did the same thing the entire part of the day. So when I got opportunity to join one of the banks, actually one of the big banks globally, and then Africa Online as well, which at that point, as you indicated earlier, was really a big player as well in Kenya and the continent. I chatted with one of my mentors, professional mentors, and I said, look, I have these two options. Which way do we go? And so, of course, banking was nothing new. I mean, banking is is an old uh, profession. And him knowing a little bit of me and maybe part of my interest said, look, I think ICT will be more exciting. It's a new field, just budding. You know, there's a lot of new stuff happening. And if you're looking for some excitement, then that might serve you better. So that's how I landed, actually, at Africa Online instead of uh, being a banker. And now you find yourself at Echo. As I mentioned earlier, you parted the merger between Africa Online and ASAP Communications. And then at what stage did you leave that merged entity and join Echo? Mine has been an interesting journey, Marcus, because it kind of really caught up in the mergers and acquisition, which are um, typical of the ICT space. So started off with Africa Online. I think my earlier, I would say perhaps six years, was very fast growth. Because within six years, I was in Tanzania heading the finance department of Africa Online Tanzania. And two years down the road, I then assumed the leadership as a general manager of Tanzania. And after serving, it should have been about two and a half years, I felt my work was done in Tanzania and I needed to come back home. Around about that time, Africa Online and Upside Communications had been acquired by Telcom South Africa. And so I was tasked, you know, to come in Kenya and be able to, um, you know, manage the merger, launch a new brand that was Highway Africa. And that's what we did in 2011. So stayed on. And then there was some Telcom South Africa sold out to a company called Gondwana in 2014. I stayed on with them. 
And until 2019, when the Echo International again acquired the businesses of Highway Africa in the continent, and thus the new brand, Echo International, that I'm now part of. Great. That brings us up to the present date. You're with Echo, running the operations in Kenya. Tell us about Echo. I gave a brief overview in in my introduction. You're a Pan-African operation. Where's Echo headquartered? Who owns the group? And tell us more about the solutions that you're supplying and to what type of clients. So we are a Pan-African outfit, right? Present, as you indicated, in several African countries, but also working with a whole ecosystem of partners, actually, in places where we do not have an operation. And we are therefore covering much part of the continent, actually, other than the Arab North. We pretty much cover the rest, you know, the east, the central, the, the west, and the southern Africa. I headquartered out of South Africa. Echo International Kenya is part of the Echo International group, as it were, headquartered out of South Africa. And one of our sister companies is Echo SP, again, a company in South Africa that um, has been in operation now for around about 10 years with great success in provision of managed ICT solutions in, the, in South Africa. Therefore, that is part of our footprint. Now, you, you did touch, markers about what we do, but the way we, we put this is that actually we use technology, right, to enable our customers respond to their problems and seize opportunities in their world. I know you indicated about the connectivity angle, and that now pretty much is one of the things that we do. But actually, our view is uh, holistic. You know, we like and want to challenge um, our customers and challenge the industry to begin to look at this space from a holistic point of view, that it, it just doesn't take a good internet connection to really have an optimized environment that helps a business to thrive. And that's how we're positioning ourselves as that person who joins the dots to make technology work for our customer. And whether it is then responding to problems that are around about their world or seizing opportunities that they see, that's what we've positioned ourselves to be able to do. And working with the enterprise market uh, significantly because, I mean, as you would appreciate, when you go up the layer just above, say, the basic old internet, to the game of solutions, that is much more aligned to the business context. So really our customers are enterprise and our sweet spot is actually businesses with distributed workforces, distributed offices, whether within the same country or across the continent or within the region, that's our sweet spot. And therefore, cutting across all the different industries, yes, working with all these customers in as it were. You're in the business of not just providing connectivity solutions, but a more holistic yes. uh, range of services. Can you tell yes. us a little bit more about the whole picture? Okay, good. So, I mean, as I indicated, so we see technology within an ecosystem, Marcus. And it's an ecosystem that consists of various components within that ecosystem. So on one side, you do have connectivity and we still do provide connectivity for our customers. But on the other end, we also see, and, and this is what we've seen as emerging, is really managed solutions. And what sits within that space would be SD1, software-defined wide area network. You know, Previously in that space, we had the MPLS and it's that layer that leverages on the connectivity and puts in some intelligence to actually make connectivity 
much more primed to address certain needs for our customers. So you have connectivity, you have managed networks. And then, of course, we do have security, which, you, as you intimated, is really one of the key things. As you look at an IT environment, cannot afford to ignore the question of security because as we adopt new ways of working, leverage the cloud and the exposure and the risks that come with that. So we do have security solutions as well. Then we do have the IT as a service. And this is really actually working with our customers to create and give them the human aspect of what makes an IT work. And you know, some of our customers would be somebody without an IT department entirely. And we go in there and actually provide that as a service. We would monitor their network. We would ensure the IT environment works, would respond to the user issues, and just really do what an IT department would do on a day-to-day basis for our customers. So that is it. And then, of course, the last bit is a cloud. You know, that's what kind of ties that whole angle, because we all know that a lot of stuff has moved from on-premise to the cloud environment. And there's a lot of beauty and benefit in being able to leverage the cloud possibilities, the scalability, the agility that comes with that. And, And so we do have again, solutions that sit within that space of the cloud. And, and therefore, when we, when we talk of the holistic view, therefore, is when we engage any customer, we want to understand their business objectives. We want to understand their strategy and then be able to see within these different brackets, right? What is it that we need to bring into the environment to aid and propel their business forward. For some of them, it will be security and connectivity and and perhaps IT as a service. For another, it may be connectivity and cloud, you know, and that's the whole essence that we can come in and say, how does your environment look like? Where do you want to go? Where are you in this journey? What is your strategy? And be able to draw from all these different technologies to then give you an environment or give the business an environment that enables it to move forward. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for that that overview. You talked about the emphasis in terms of the solutions that you provide to enable distributed teams to work seamlessly together. We've all, as a consequence of COVID, had to adapt to remote working. I wonder if you could tell us how demand for your services and solutions has changed since the advent of COVID. So, Marcus, we've gone through phases on that journey. And I think that is perhaps typical of uh, what has happened. And I think initially, on the onset of the pandemic, I think all of us didn't quite know how this thing was spun out, right? I mean, I do recall initially when there was a lockdown in Kenya, everyone thought that within three months, we'll all be back, <laughs> you know? So, at that point, we found companies, in a sense, just putting a freeze on stuff and taking a break. And yet there was some demand here and there for some of the, I would say, distributed connectivity solutions. So needing a connectivity at home for some of the managers and then moving on to the cloud solutions, you know, especially um, which then enable the collaboration of teams, you know, teleconferencing, the sharing of documentation and stuff. But really on the initial phase, it was very muted if I was to use that word. But I think as we then began looking at the 
pandemic context as a new normal. I think that's a term we adopted and it kind of mm. became, <laughs> this is how life is now, is now going to be. We now saw businesses beginning to adjust and beginning to appreciate that, look, actually, this may drag on a bit longer. And we then saw organizations beginning to think about security and fortify their environment because, you know, that's one of the exposures. When you spread your reach and enable people to access your servers and your documents and your repository from wherever, then the other risk is security, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so we started seeing that coming in. And, and, and I think on right now, and, and really I think we are not very clear when this whole thing is going to end up and for us to resume to to normalcy, is that we are seeing businesses thinking ahead in a very, what I call, create a very dynamic context. So thinking, how do you create an environment that enables people to work from the office, to work from the coffee shop, to work from their houses? And so there are many different ways of looking at that. But essentially what I think we see is an admission and uh, right now that is not just the connectivity you need. You actually need to create this environment that has all these different touch points that enables workers to be productive from where they are. Uh, because, I mean, what we're seeing with a lot of our customers is that nobody has really resumed to full-time office uh, working. There is a lot of people, you know, having shifts. So certain departments, certain of their personnel work occasionally from home. Some work from the office. They alternate. There is a, a rota of sorts. We also see a lot of things happening in hotels and coffee shops now with uh, mm. that being able to be open. So we've seen, in my mm. view, an appreciation that companies need to create an environment that enables this dynamic distributed work context. I think that's certainly what we're observing both from our clients but also our staff. There's a desire to get back into the office. I think particularly actually if I if I think about my colleagues in Nairobi who have been coming back to the office in smaller numbers and sort of hybrid working sometimes in the office, sometimes working from home. But actually, when I consider how much time my colleagues in Nairobi or Lagos as prime examples have spent in traffic and now the ability to be able to, to miss the rush hour by at least doing some work at home with, in comfort and with all the access that they would have sitting in the office to documents and, and other shared resources in the way that you say. I think we're certainly embracing that new equilibrium. But yes, it does require constant and secure and dynamic ICT infrastructure. You talked about security and I wanted to touch on that. If I recall, I think it was early on in the pandemic when the US Federal Reserve chair, he made a speech and stated that in in his view, cybersecurity was now one of the greatest risks facing the world. I wonder how you evaluate that risk. You've been providing cloud solutions to organizations across the continent. Just how well secure are they from the sorts of data breaches and cybersecurity risks that we're all much more aware of today, certainly, than I think we were before? It occurs to me that whilst many organizations may well be working in the cloud, they're not necessarily using VPNs. The data in the cloud is not necessarily encrypted. I wanted to give us a perspective on how secure you see within your, your own domain, Kenya, organization's data as as being. uh, Thanks, Marcus, for that. You've kind of actually hit the nail on the head in that the practitioners, uh, such as ourselves, and and really, I mean, even the regulators recognize a tremendous risk that there is. And just to kind of share with you some numbers, I mean, the regulator tracks what um, are called security or cyber threats that happen every quarter in in Mm. Kenya. 
in the most recent regulatory report, they indicated that there were 28 million threat incidents over a three-month period. Whoa. Now, I mean, that is crazy. I mean, that is data, of course, coming from the service providers such as ourselves and other practitioners. But, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of activity and incidents there. 28 million, and just to give that into context, the previous quarter, actually, it was double of that. I'm saying that to say that there's a huge amount of risk and it's very documented, it's very clear. But again, what is very unfortunate is that we don't see that awareness with the organizations, with the users. And and that is really a real concern. We see lots of users of technology still being very indifferent about the risks of the cybersecurity and the exposure that brings. So for some, I would say it is an issue that is dealt with with a lot of secrecy. You know, until customer trusts you, they don't want to talk about it. It's almost like a sickness. You know? Mm. <laughs> we know that there's a lot of, and sad to say that, but I mean, people are unwell, for instance. But then, you know, that's not something people go announcing on the streets, isn't it? They mm. only disclose that to their trusted advisors and partners at ETC. So that's the same thing that we see, that the moment you gain the trust of our, say, customers and other partners, then they begin sharing with you the exposures that they sit with. So there's a tremendous risk, especially when you look at stuff like malware and DDoS, you know, denial of service attacks. I think those are the ones that are leading when you look at the statistics. And the risk is huge. But then the users, the companies are largely indifferent. And therefore, our role, without creating fear, is to really, you know, socialize these different players to that reality, right? That this is the reality you're playing in. It's almost like coming in with a placard and saying, are you aware that this is what is happening around you? I mean, what we see, and again, most unfortunate, is that Lots of people have got security breaches right on their network, even without knowing it. You know, you've got malware even on on people's PCs, on servers, and they don't know about it. And we've done a bit of that in kind of helping investigate, in helping going in and doing some assessment. And in as far as the whole cybersecurity issue is concerned, that is usually our approach of talking to a customer saying, look, let's actually do an assessment. Let's actually see what's happening. And I can tell you, every time you get a report out of it, the customer is surprised, <laughs> which, which really says everyone thinks they're very safe, things are okay, but actually there's huge, tremendous uh, potential or, or rather um, um, exposure uh, right in there. And, you know, really, so the way in my view to address that one is just that awareness that we need to create. I think all the different um, players, whether for-profit players such as ourselves, but even the regulator, and that's what, for instance, our regulator does in Kenya by publishing these reports that indicate this is what is happening within the environment. I I doubt rather though whether people actually read those reports. And then there is the whole bit of the assessment. You know, you've got to then encourage, and we've got to encourage um, customers and businesses to assess their environment, just be able to audit what is happening in the environment. What sort of exposures might they be having or be exposed to? And then the other detail, of course, that comes with that is helping them respond to that. Because again, there'll be different things that they need to do. You know, if you have an on-premise context, vis-a-vis a cloud context, there are different security realities. There'll be different 
response is required. If you're dealing with concentrated education vis-a-vis a distributed workforce, again, there will be certain realities and and certain threats that exposes uh, business too, and likewise the responses. So again, it is to socialize people that security needs to be viewed as a solution from a solution lens. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. Previously, people believed if I have a good firewall, I'm okay. And so what everyone did was to have a good firewall and an antivirus. And they were sorted, you know, but, but I guess what we're saying here is that that's not adequate. You know, you've got to be very clear on what your particular environment exposes you to and then be able to have the right advice and input on how to respond to the threats that any particular environment is much more susceptible to. So it's got to be a very focused, very I say, um, customized approach, right? You know, so that it's really understanding one's context and therefore the intervention necessary. Well, thank you for that. You referenced the regulator there and the reports that they publish on a quarterly basis around cybersecurity threats. I wanted to turn to the policy and regulatory environment in Kenya. Some years ago, over a decade ago, for sure, the Kenyan authorities were pretty clear in setting out a vision for a, a technology hub, Kenya as a progressive technology embracing country with the policies and regulatory environment to, to create and sustain that enabling environment. The Konza Technopolis was established, and I'd be interested to know how that's evolved. It's a dedicated technology hub some 60 or so kilometers outside of Nairobi for the benefit of our listeners. But I wonder, you followed that trajectory. You joined the tech industry at an early stage, and you've been involved since you joined Africa Online. I wonder how you've observed Kenya's journey in providing that enabling environment for businesses like yours and other players in the technology ecosystem in, in Kenya. You're right in saying that our regulator, that whole space think the government has been very proactive in an attempt to define a journey that we will take as a country. So the CONSA was, for instance, a brilliant idea. I just need to say that, I don't know that to say it's the wheel seems to have come up, but I mean, it's really been slow in terms of the execution. What I would say, I mean, in particular, a case like CONSA is that great aspirational plans and, and, and fantastic, you know, blueprints. The execution has been relatively slow to the point where currently what we do have is just the authorities' um, headquarters right there. There's still plans and other entities I know are, you know, at various stages of building their um, offices or their premise. There's still plans and some of it is now being executed around about creating and provisioning the infrastructure the road network and all that to be able to support that uh, technopolis. So great idea, great vision. Execution hasn't quite matched that scenario, but it's not a dead dream. I mean, I think it's pretty much still alive. We would hope that resources are allocated and perhaps much more greater focus to then be able to see that come into being. But Putting Konza aside, I think Kenya has, in overall, really created a very enabling environment for many other technologies. I mean, Kenya is renowned for, for instance, the M-Pesa. I think world over, uh, you know, Kenya is really celebrated for that. And, and I think that has 
completely transformed the whole aspect of financial inclusivity and just enabling so many previously unbanked population to to really be able to access financial services. And that has gone on to literally revolutionize how business gets done. So the cost of transactions and the speed of that execution, I I think virtually that has touched every business and that Mm -hmm. has been tremendous. And why that came about is because the regulator, but also the central bank of Kenya, because you know there's a component of the financial services, really allowed that innovation to thrive in our context. So there was a need, there was some innovation, and the regulator and the CBK actually, in my view, really aided that coming into being in this country. We've also seen the government involved in quite a number of other initiatives, especially Uh, You know, what I would call perhaps the best infrastructural investments, ensuring the entire country is networked on fiber, for instance, replacing the microwave links that were what connected various parts of the country. I mean, to the point, Makas, where, for instance, you may know about the Lake uh, Trokana wind plant right north towards South Sudan. You've got fiber right in those places. I know there's a fiber cable, for instance, going all the way to Moyale, right on the border towards Ethiopia. So the government has done a fantastic job, therefore, also. In terms of, in my view, sorting what would be regarded as base infrastructure, right? I call it base is because once you have that mm-hmm. kind of connectivity, you know, from one county and town to another, then the rest of us can go in and do the metro fiber and stuff like that. We need to also remember, for instance, Kenya was at the forefront or for instance you know doing the teams cable earlier I mean, that's actually more than 10 years ago right again that was another one that completely opened up the whole connectivity angle right from kenya through fujaira i think that was in 2008 and 9 so both in terms of policy but also in my view government being an active participant there's been lots of good initiative that has really propelled this country to where it is. And uh, I think the other players have also come along. And, and so there's a nice environment that we see technopreneurs being able to start off. There are hubs that uh, they can utilize. And uh, I mean, there's really, there's a good vibe as it were that enables startups and enables you know people to really get going. So I think that has been quite supportive. But what I need to perhaps mention here that in, you know, despite that is that maybe our challenge is really the cost of doing business, which so you can have good policy and you can have nice government initiative, but the, the pain I see and I hear with quite a number of players is that the cost of doing business has remained relatively high, right? And that then you know tends to slow down the realization of the great policy and the great initiatives that the government has undertaken. Because again, you know, you and I know that we have to make business work. It's nice having policy, nice having government initiatives. But again, if the investors are really not able to have some good return because of high costs, it does create quite some few challenges. And therefore, in a sense, slows down the realization of the fruits of the great policy impetus and the great government initiative around about the base infrastructure. As you were speaking there, I was I was thinking about an old friend of mine, Bitangi and Demo, who played such an instrumental role in establishing the right policy environment and the regulatory environment from the start of yeah. the millennium when he was on the secretary in the Ministry of Information and Communications in, in Kenya. No, he did an amazing job. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. I wanted to get your insights into just how much priority is attaching to 
job creation for the youth in particular from the ICT sector. To what degree do Kenya's ambitions going forward in Vision 2030? Yes, so I think the point I wanted to make here is that there's a lot of good that has happened to really enable the different players within that space find their footing, Marcus. So I did reference the digital migration that happened again, should have been around about, was it 2010 or 2011, thereabout. And what that did was to really democratize the channels of access, so much so that budding musicians, Budding comedian, budding developers, coding guys, and, and, and all these script writers, and all, all these different players, that has given an incubation platform to the sector. So I think there's a lot of good, I would say a lot of conducive context that enables and one gives these people an ability to begin to grow their business, but also begins to help them access the markets you know, and, and the consumers. So I, I would really say that I think there's a lot of good happening, actually, that is able to provide that. And then the entire evolution of the ecosystems, whether you look at the digital marketplaces, for instance, I mean, that has, again, grown quite a number of them now. And, and what that does is, again, you can have your almost, you can be a supplier of anything from your house registered either on one of these digital marketplaces, you then have a logistics, where very well developed now logistics players. And those different joining of dots then enables you know, different place people to leverage technology to reach their markets, grow their businesses. I mean, it's amazing. You meet somebody and they are running their business entirely online, literally for mm-hmm. selling all manner of things. And, and I think that is phenomenal. So I think, you know, whether it is technology pronouns or other business people leveraging technology, the environment, and I think those possibilities have really worked very well to enable young business people uh, find their footing and grow businesses. Presumably, we're seeing more Kenyan content online than ever before as well. As I indicated, for instance, when we give them room to grow and, and take those early journeys and you know find their path. And then we start seeing maturity, isn't it? And that begins to make it on the big stage. And that's good. You know, I mean, it kind of really helps different people be able to be successful. Very exciting. Oh, what a very inspiring picture you paint there. I'm going to turn and ask you a, a final question, if I may. I know that you're a keen reader and that you like listening to music also. In our weekly newsletter at Africa Practice, we often have a focus on a musician or even <laughs> even a book. I'm wondering if next week we might not carry your recommendation or, or what you're listening to. Can you tell us what you're listening to and what you're reading at the moment? I'm sure you can bear it. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> so... Very interesting. But uh, lately, Marcus, I've gotten very interested in the work of Jordan Patterson. And I think he's done quite a few books. Uh, he, he, he did, for instance, a map of maps of meaning. The one that I'm actually, I wouldn't say I'm reading, I actually want to start reading, is 12 Rules of Life, The Antidotes to Chaos. So uh, very interesting. I mean, it's, it's quite philosophical, but I think that he is a very well-renowned psychologist now and uh, I'm very keen to see how he helps us make meaning of of life so I am intrigued by that sort of stuff that so um, why no well I'm, I'm intrigued to get the review once you've read it um, and, no, and then can, I'll know I, to pick it up no I can share that with you yeah mm-hmm. because I, I guess it's for me at the whole again and maybe it's a personal thing of 
meaning making, you know, just again, better understanding about life, purpose, why are we here, why do things work like they do or don't. <laughs> yes. Music, I think I'm a bit more general. I mean, I love jazz quite a bit, and especially the religious kind. So there's a new group that has come up by the name of Maverick. And I think young people, and you, you can search them online and done several albums. So I wouldn't even single out any album. I think I've got mm. nearly all their works now. Maybe on a on an ongoing basis, there's a jazz that really intrigues me, especially the saxophone. In fact, the other day I started thinking, why should I not be learning how to play the saxophone? That really intrigues me. I love the saxophone. How great. How great to hear that. Did you say the band was called, or the ensemble is called Maverick? Yes. Maverick. And they're a Kenyan ensemble, are they? That no, no, no. Jazz? They're US. They're, they're US. US. Okay. okay. Great. Well, listen, Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you for enlightening us, not only about ECHO, the solutions and services that you're supplying, but telling us what you're observing in the Kenya ICT space and the technology ecosystem more broadly in Kenya. You've put us on notice about the threats that malware and cybersecurity represent for all of our businesses. And it's been a joy to speak with you and get to know you better. And I'm sure our audience will have really enjoyed hearing you. So thank you, Ken. Thank you, Marcus, for having me. I truly appreciate uh, the opportunity to engage with you on your podcast. I do wish you well and sante sana and cheers. Thank you for tuning into a Voices of Africa podcast this week. Voices of Africa is a forum where Africa's leading experts weigh in on cross-sectional topics affecting the continent. Experts share their views on how we can unlock greater value that will benefit industry, government, and communities. For more of our insights, visit our website or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Views on Africa, in the description.